we're starting a series, summer series. Uh, I feel like we should be continuing because we're halfway through summer, or, not, or most of the way through summer. But uh, each summer, I like to take a number of weeks and uh, jump into an area that uh, um, wouldn't necessarily be on our, um, our typical journey. In previous years, we've looked at some of the pastoral epistles, we've looked at uh, miracles, we've looked at some of the, um, the stories Jesus told, some of the parables. Uh, this year, I want us to look at a few of the minor prophets, and today, particularly, I want us to start with Joel. If you don't know where Joel is, uh, find the bigger book of Daniel and hang a right, a couple of books. And uh, we're going to be looking over the next number of weeks between now and, and Labor Day at uh, a number of different minor prophets next week, Hosea, and uh, move on from there. But uh, I know that the Lord wants to speak to us uh, through uh, these writings, specifically writings to uh, the people of Israel and the nation of Israel, but I believe that they have um, an impact for us and uh, a message for us as well. Um, ever have a bad day? <laughs> Maybe I should ask the other question. Ever have a good day? <laughs> like a really good day? Well, uh, there was a pastor friend of mine up in Vancouver when we were pastoring uh, up there. Uh, his name was Mark. He had a few kids. And one day he decided to go to the Western Canadian equivalent of State Fair. Up in uh, Vancouver, it's called the Pacific National Exhibition, or we refer to it as the PNE. Um, the Pacific National Exhibition, like a big state fair in the middle of summer, and he decided he was going to take his family there one day and have a great day. Well, his day went from bad to worse, to, uh, and it went from bad to worse to really worse. A few things happened. Uh, he got there, he parked. Uh, he parked in a place he probably shouldn't have parked, um, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But anyways, uh, he got it for cheap. It was in somebody's backyard, and uh, then he goes to the front gate and finds out how much it costs and that they don't take credit cards. So he's got to leave his family there. He's got to run up to the ATM, get cash, and come back. And so the day is just starting off bad. Uh, he gets in and then finds out how much it's going to cost to feed his family at the fair that day. And uh, more trips to the ATM. And uh, so they're out there eating lunch. And uh, there's this open-air gondola that goes over top and right exactly where they're eating. A good day going even worse. A uh, person spills their you know, massive big gulp right on their table from this uh, gondola overhead. So their meal's ruined. Their clothes are ruined. They're soaking wet with, with Coca-Cola and and uh, so they're just trying to salvage this day. They end up going to the ag barns, and, uh, and uh, in the ag barn, there's stuff on the ground, and he ends up stepping in it, and uh, goes over to the, the emu and figures he's you know, going to make light of the day, so he's making faces at this emu, and what does the emu do? The emu spits in his face, and like, it's a really, really bad day. It's not just one thing. It's like one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. They get to, you know, through the day, they're sunburnt, they're exhausted, it's 10 at night, he's got two kids in his arms, dragging them up the road to where they parked. They turn into the place where they parked and his car's not there. Come to find out, they go knock on the door, it's not the same person that sold them the parking spot. Some dude had 
said, here, park in this lot for 20 bucks, and he didn't even live there. <laughs> so their car got towed. They had to take a cab to the impound lot, pay to get their car out of that. By the end of it, he says, Darren, it was like a six or $700 day. It was just so painful and so awful. That was, that was Mark, Pastor Mark's most awful day. And I don't know if you've had a day like that. You might not have had a day quite that bad. You might have a day that you'll tell me about later and you'll just go, that was nothing. You got to listen to my day. Well, we all have bad days. And in the book of Joel, this is the nation of Israel, not just having a bad day, not just having a bad week. This is, this is a bad time for Israel. And this is the scene in which Joel is speaking to. The amazing thing with, with the book of Joel that you won't see in the other minor prophets is um, Joel, we really can't pin him down into a specific place or time. There's no references to a specific king or um, uh, uh, things that are going on at that, at that particular time. So we really can't pinpoint it down to a, a, a date like we can other minor prophets. And in some ways that's good because we can't just say, oh, well, that's for them. It's not for us. In fact, this is something that speaks to everyone. It speaks for all of us, no matter uh, where we've lived and when we've lived in history. The other unique thing about it is he doesn't speak to a specific sin. He's not speaking to a specific sin of Israel like many of the other minor prophets do. This is the problem. This is the problem. And again, it's a good thing because we can apply it to our lives much easier. Instead of saying, oh, that's because of this, or that's because of that, and I don't have a problem with that, we can apply it to our lives, and we can simply say, okay, God, what do you want to speak to us today? What's in this for me? I believe there are two truths uh, just at the 30,000-foot level uh, when it comes to Joel's message. The first one is this, there's a seriousness to sin. There's a seriousness to sin. He addresses sin. The second truth is that God is a God of grace. And God is a God of redemption and reconciliation. And we're going to look at, at that in just a moment. Uh, Joel begins by uh, calling it out for a, this national emergency. These uh, weren't, this emergency wasn't a, uh, it, it wasn't a result of poor planning on Israel's part. Um, it, it wasn't just random happen chance either. Um, this was a result of sin. Israel was guilty. They'd done uh, some things that were wrong. They'd turned away from the Lord. And so God taps Joel on the shoulder and says, I want you to speak into, into Israel's life. And Joel begins, Joel 1.1, he says, uh, it says this, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, and verse 2 says this, hear this, this is the, the word that he's got for Israel, hear this, you elders, listen, all you who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? I want you to tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. He's saying, this is important stuff. I want you to hear me. This is an emergency. Listen up, listen up, listen up. <clears throat> Verse 6, he says, our nation has been invaded by a powerful army. And this isn't an army that is physical in nature. It's not a human army that's coming with, with swords and spears and, and, <clears throat> and weaponry. This is a, an invasion of a different kind. Verse 10, Joel says, The fields are in ruin. The ground is dried up and the grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up and the, oil, uh, and the olive oil fails. Um, this isn't a physical army, as I mentioned. This is a plague of locusts. 
Now, you might see locusts in your field, in backyard, out on the street, wherever. Uh, here in Texas, we get those big, huge grasshoppers, and those are those locusts that, that uh, Joel is talking about. But it's not just one or two. It's not just 10 or 20. These are millions uh, in swarms that come and devour crops right down to, to dirt. There's nothing left. There's no green left. This is utter destruction, <clears throat> total loss, nothing left standing. Every plant is just chewed right down to dirt level. Look at verse 17. Joel says, the storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down. The grain has dried up. Even the flock, the flocks of sheep are suffering. This is destruction of cataclysmic proportion. Uh, this is much worse than any zombie apocalypse than you can imagine or, or conjure up. This is just that devastation, scorched earth. You don't want to be there. This calamity that Joel expresses is, is happening because of sin. Now, I want to tap the brakes here. I want to press pause for a second because it's really easy for us to run on and make some easy conclusions, just some logical conclusions. I believe there's an important side note that needs to be made here, a pastoral note that needs to be made because we, we, we grab these things and we run on and we make these conclusions. But I want you to hear me, and I'm going to say this a few times this morning. Not every blessing is because, not every blessing comes upon you because you do good things. And likewise, I want you to hear this, not every difficulty comes upon you or not every difficulty you face is because you do bad things. It's important to know. Just take that and just tuck it away for a second. Remember that. Big question I'm often asked is, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm sure you've been asked that before. As a Christian, as a God uh, uh, follower, as a Christ follower, why do bad things happen to good, uh, good people? I'm <clears throat> somewhat shocked that the other question doesn't get asked, why do good things happen to bad people? Ever thought about that? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, why do good things happen to bad people? But we never answer that, uh, ask that question. But anyways, the question that gets asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And when I'm asked that question, when that topic, in, in essence, comes up, I, I have a few answers. The first one is this. The first one is relatively easy, and it is because of sin, our sin. When we sin, we, we come out from under the, the Lord's covering. We, we do our own thing. We go our own way, and the Lord doesn't bless that. And, and we, we put ourselves in situations and predicaments that affect us negatively. Bad things happen to us, logically speaking, because, and, and spiritually speaking, because we sin. And that is one reason why bad things happen to us, because of our own sin. The second reason why bad things happen to relatively good people or, or seemingly good people is because of other people's sin. A shooting down in El Paso, another shooting this morning, those bad things happen because of other people's sin. I'm sure each and every one of us has been the recipient on the receiving end of someone else's wrongdoing, and we've suffered the consequences because of that. Whether it's someone close to us, someone dear to us, someone who's, who, who is in relationship with us, a family member, a friend, loved one, or maybe it's just a friend or acquaintance, um, maybe even someone we don't know, but it guaranteed each and every one of us has suffered at the hands of someone else's wrongdoing or someone else's sin. Those two are relatively, I won't say easy, but those are, it makes sense that bad things happen because of sin. 
There's another reason, though, why bad things happen or we suffer in this world, and it's not a cop-out, it's simply an answer founded in Scripture, and that's we live in a fallen world. A world that is under the curse, a world that is, is, is permeated with sin, and things don't work as they should. Our bodies don't work the way as, the, as they should. Our bodies grow old, our bodies fatigue, our bodies are susceptible to, to illness, to sickness, to viruses, to, to infection. Um, the, the relationships that we are in are, are suspect to uh, just a fallen world. Things around us do not work as they should. Even think of our, of our environment and our climate and that. You could say that those things do not work and do not function as they should. So three reasons why we're faced with adversity and why we go through these things. But pastorally, what I want to encourage each and every one of us to do this morning is to approach this subject with discernment, with some spiritual discernment. Jonathan talked last week about growing into full stature, maturity in our faith, and I believe that's something that we even have to do with this subject. You see, we can have two extremes. We can land on the side where everything is a result of sin and paint things with a big wide brushstroke and say every negative thing that comes our way is a result of sin and we go the other extreme and say you know belittle it and say nothing that we experience is a result of sin and we belittle its presence but again let me say that not every blessing is because you do good things and likewise not every difficulty you face is because of your sin there are good things and bad things and we think even personally in your life the way you go through the blessings that you receive and, and those struggles and those difficulties that you go through and discerning and truly being introspective and saying, what is going on here? I've had many people who I've talked to hurt and, and, and wounded uh, right to their core because someone has come up, and said, come up to them and said, the reason why you're going through this is because there must be sin in your life. Well, that's not helpful. And that's, that's not the, the truth most of the time. Same thing corporately. I think at times, even as a church, we go, hey, God is blessing us, but look at how good we are. Is that really why he's blessing us? Or we're going through struggles. Well, someone must be, you know, we go looking for the, the, the Jonah, and who do we have to throw off the ship in order for God to bless us? There must be sin in the camp. Let's go find it. We go, you know, pitchforks and, and torches trying to find the, the sinner amongst us so God will be able to bless us once we extract them from our masses. You see the logic? Well, likewise, we, we go nationally with this as well. If only we legislate the righteousness and if only we do the right things, God's blessing is going to be upon us as a nation. And the reason why calamity is happening and shooting is happening is because someone in here is sinning. We just have to go at them with a pitchfork, you know, pitchforks and torches and get them out of here in order for God to bless our nation once again. Kind of got into a little bit of this discussion just candidly Thursday morning at our men's group. And I tell you, it's some heavy conversations. And I told them Thursday morning, I, sorry, I, for one, I'm Canadian. That's not a cop-out. But at the same time, I have a little bit of different perspective on this. At the, at the same time, we don't have 30 days to talk about this right now. 
So can we approach this with discernment? And can we approach this with the heart of the Holy Spirit speaking into us and saying, and taking this introspective look and going, how about for me? What's God saying to me? Where's my relationship with him? Where's sin in my life that I need to deal with? Where, where's, the, where's my heart? Is it after God? Or is there some things that are wrong? And are the alarm bells going off here? You see, here's this prophetic word for Israel. Their sin was getting in the way of that relationship with God. And for them, it was having a direct impact on, on the problems. And I truly believe that what Joel was saying was, was Israel, take a look, take an examination, take stock of where you're at in your relationship with God right now. And I believe that God's saying that to us as well. Would you take a look at yourself? Would you examine your heart? Is there sin in your life? Where are those areas that of compromise? You know, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, he's in our men's group from time to time. He, he, I loved this line one morning. He says, you know, we in our Western culture are very uh, lacking in self-introspection. We, we don't necessarily do a good job at, at analyzing what's going on inside of us. We do a great job at looking on the outside and how we look and how we portray ourselves and how we come across, but, but very seldom do we truly get down to the heart of the matter and the, and the inside of our heart and really go, Lord, what's going on? What's the condition of my heart? What's getting in the way? Really, I love the, the psalmist in Psalm 139 saying, search me, O oh God, know my heart. See if there be any anxious way in me. Lord, would you look inside? Would you expose some things within me? Because I, I don't want anything to get between you and me. So Joel sounds the alarm. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You know, this is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, uh, not to be you know, pithy or, or, or just speaking lofty, but I think so many times we just blast through the, the warning signs in our lives. We blast through those alarm bells. We're deaf to those alarm bells. I used to give this illustration in, in uh, <clears throat> a youth group when I was youth pastoring, and I'd talk about a uh, this image of a, you know, a, a square stone wheel. And as that wheel, kind of let me just use this as a wheel. This isn't square, but, you know, as it turns, as that rock turns, every time it turns, corner chips off. And it's like every time we go against our conscience, every time we go against the nudging and the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we go and do things our own way, it's almost like the conscience chips off the edge. And soon enough, that square stone wheel becomes round. And there's really nothing holding us back anymore. And I think for many of us, we've made it a habit of blasting through that conscience, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the the word of God in our lives and doing things our own way. And when the alarm bells are going off, we just don't hear them anymore because we're deaf to them. This is what Joel was saying to God's people. He was saying, I want you to hear these alarm bells going off. 
Because God loves you so much and has a plan for your life and he's got something, something so much better. There is a way out and he, he shows that there's this escape route. And in Joel 2.13, he says this verse, and you, and you might be familiar with this. He says, rend your hearts. Rend your hearts and not your garments. You see, in, in, in those days, a, a symbol of grief, a symbol of mourning was taking your clothes and tearing them and outwardly showing people around you that you were grieving. And Joel is saying, you know what? You may want to do that because nothing is going right in your life and you want to show grief and you want to show mourning and you want to show despair. But you know what? That's not what God is looking for. He's not looking for this outward uh, show this outward manifestation he wants something to change inside of you and something to change deep within your heart and Joel says rend your hearts not your garments tear your hearts that's what rend means to tear you see God wants a broken heart God doesn't want the outward expressions of how awful things are and yet many times for us as Christians we feel like Walking around saying, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, is something that God is honored by. No, what God wants to hear from us is, there's something going on deep within me that's not right. And Lord, would you come and would you change it? Would you, would you make it whole and would you transform this because it's not of you and it's not of me? Would you make me new? He says, Joel says, rend your hearts and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This isn't the heart of God to send calamity. Don't just do the outward expression. Let it impact your heart. Return to the Lord. Come to him with a broken heart. David in Psalm 51 he comes to this place of utter brokenness before God and, the, and the, the, the scope and the ramifications of his sin, the massivity of what's gone on in his life just comes crashing down around him and, and he's broken to the core and he, he says, Lord, you don't delight in sacrifice or I bring, you don't delight in these, these outward expressions of repentance. What does David said? Lord, what you desire is a broken and a contrite heart. That's the offering that you want from me. You want me to break inside. You want this transformation to take place inside. There's a 19th century theologian. His name is Lloyd Ogilvy. He summed up the book of Joel by saying this. He says, when you don't know where to turn, Turn to the Lord. And when you get to the point in your life where you don't know where to turn, where you're not just having a bad day, where you're not just having a bad week, but you come to this understanding that, that there's some things inside of you that just aren't right. There's things that you're nuzzling up to or embracing or, or, or acknowledging in your life and giving a priority in your life that aren't of God. And you come to that place where it's just not working anymore and the Holy Spirit prompts you, it's time to turn to the Lord. You ever been there? Have you been in that place? Nudging of the Holy Spirit in your life. This light goes on, the alarm bells are firing. And you don't know what to do. Turn to the Lord because there's restoration. And Joel goes on to talk about a God of love, a God of grace who's quick 
come along and be compassionate and loving and gracious. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Through the prophet, the Lord says, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. He goes on to say, I'll protect you from the invading armies. I'll drive them out from you. I will, I will destroy your enemies. The threshing floors will be full to overflowing. The vats will overflow with oil and new wine. And we know the meaning of the new wine that, that comes along. It's this, this refreshing and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, it, the Lord says through Joel, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. How about that? That's not just putting a Band-Aid on it. That's not just stitching up the wound. That is, that is blessing beyond that which we deserve, that which we can acknowledge. It's this understanding that the enemy has come in and robbed and stolen and destroyed and that that, that is not an impairment to the blessings of God. God will come and bless beyond that which the enemy has stolen. Verse 26, you will have plenty to eat until you are filled, until you're full. Verse 27, you will know that I am near. And I love verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Promise after promise after promise after promise. You see, when the alarm bells go off and the people of God respond, there is a response from, from the Lord that says, I will restore, I will reconcile, I will pour out my spirit, I will bring you back into this relationship with me, and there will be abundance, there will be blessing, there will be favor. I'll pour out my spirit. And ultimately, Joel is saying Israel will be restored. Do you know when we come to the Lord with a broken and contrite heart, when we come to the Lord in repentance, there's not this God sitting there going, okay, and what else? Okay, and what else? And why'd you do that? You know? You know, around here so often, you've heard me say, and you've heard others up here talk about, we talk about conviction. That brings repentance. That brings about restoration and reconciliation. You see, conviction is way different than condemnation. Scripture says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so as we examine our hearts, I I, I talked about discerning and having the mind of Christ that we don't just go logically through it and say, well, A, A plus B equals C, and this plus this equals that, therefore it must be this. But really having the mind of Christ and going, Lord, what is going on? What needs to be changed? What needs to be moved? Because, Lord, we want you to come in and you to do this work because as you do, something beautiful is going to come out. And that's conviction leading to repentance, leading to changed hearts, leading to the blessing of God. That's not condemnation. That remains with a curse. There's a truth for us here this morning. It's that God is a God of grace and compassion. But the truth is also that sin interrupts and gets in the way of that relationship with God and has a negative effect on our lives and our ministry and our testimony. And I want us to be an introspective church. I want us to be an introspective people. That hears the promptings of his Holy Spirit. Men. 
hear from God. Step up and be a man of God. Hear those areas in your life that God is pointing out and saying, you know what, these are some things I want to clean up. Women, hear from God. Listen to God. Hear from Him those areas that say, you know, here are some things in your life I want to clean up because they're getting in the way. Young men, young women, teenagers, college students, step up, hear from the Lord. Set your ears and your eyes and your heart open before Him and listen. Say, God, show me some of those things that are getting in the way. Not so that you're terrified and not so that you're guilty or you're feeling, you're feeling worthless. Not so that, no, but that so God can come in and do a work in your life and you can, you can move and be the man and woman of God that, that he's called you to be. See, that's what, what, what God's heart was for Israel. He knew the, the people that, that he'd set for them to be. The testimony, the impact, the, the blessing, all that that he wanted to see manifest in their lives. Young men, young women, older men, older women, parents, moms, dads, grandparents here. Know that God has an incredible thing for you in your life. Incredible blessings. And yet some of those things that we're hitching our wagons to are getting in the way. And once again, this isn't a cause and effect, an if and then, but it's a message that we as a church, we as people of God are called to be quick to repent, quick to hear God and respond to the work that he wants to do in our lives. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I want to pour out my blessings upon you. That's a promise it's a promise. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go back home to, uh, to Canada and uh, visit with my, my parents. My parents are in their late 80s and um, just blessed that they're, they're living and they're relatively healthy, but they're getting older. For years, every time my dad has either come to visit or I've gone up there to visit, I like to, uh, it's kind of our thing to go on a road trip. And so this time, I, I really felt, I was telling Dana that uh, I felt I, I needed to take him to where he was born. And uh, that was pretty cool. So he and I hopped in a car. It's a five-hour trip from Vancouver up to the Okanagan. And the Okanagan is this area that it's lake country, um, lots of orchards and vineyards. It's wine country. And that's where he was born and, and raised. And uh, we stayed at this hotel overlooking the lake, and he was born about a quarter mile off of the lake, and, and there's this mountain that uh, really right out of our, of our hotel room, we looked down the lake, and there's this mountain. So we were basically looking right out at, at his little hometown where he was born. And uh, so we, we drive into town, we get into a hotel. My, my dad, he's 87, so he's got to have about three naps during the day. And so he goes down for a nap, and I went out for a run. And it was a, a warm, uh, sunny afternoon, but you could tell the clouds were rolling in. It's pretty common for some, some thunderstorms and that to roll in late afternoon in that country. And uh, I went out, and I got about two and a half miles 
away from the, I went down the beach and then kind of into this one area, this park, and, and I turned around and it, it, it started to sprinkle. The rain was coming down. And then sprinkle kind of went into a shower. It never got to a heavy rain, but it was just this steady shower, rain shower. The sun was coming through, and I turned the corner out onto the beach and heading back toward our hotel. And just as the rain was coming, I, I stopped, and I, I just did this. I might have looked really weird, but I just I was reminded of this verse, the Lord pouring out his Holy Spirit on me and pouring out his Holy Spirit on us and just being drenched. And I know it's, uh, uh, for the manly men around here, it's not something that you do a whole lot, and, and uh, maybe I'm on the softer side of the man uh, scale, but I just love those times where I'm just able to stop and recognize that I'm not alone, and recognize that His Holy Spirit is working in me and through me, and that He wants to pour out His blessings on me. He's a good God. He's a good Father. I was telling the worship team earlier before the first service that uh, that Chris Tomlin song was playing on the radio as I was driving in, and uh, he knows what we need even before we say a word. Your God loves you. He knows you. He created you. He formed you. He wants to pour out his blessings on you. There's this picture here I took when I stopped. That's our hotel in the sunshine there. There's the lake off to the left, and I just stopped, and I was getting drenched, and I pulled my phone out, and I took the picture, and you know, the rainbow is a symbol of the promise. There's a whole lot going on in that, in that photo, and I'll probably keep looking at that long after my dad's passed away. But it was just a sweet time to know my place in the world, know my place in this life, to know even that given setting, just my heritage and my history. But that God has a plan for me, and that me gets in the way sometimes. My sin gets in the way sometimes. And I need to be quick to repent. I need to be quick to offer those things up to the Lord. And know that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And I'm often reminded, I didn't share this first service, but I'm often reminded, and I don't want to belittle sin because sin is a big thing. And just as we heard from Will a little earlier, that that something that, that can't exist in the presence of God. And so it's detestable to God. And now I'm reminded of that picture of Joshua. If you remember Joshua, they went up against, and, and worship team, why don't you come up as I'm, as I'm closing here. But Joshua, they go up against Jericho, this big heavily fortified city, and they, they defeat Jericho. And the whole thing about Jericho was that was the first um, victory and everything from Jericho was belonged to the Lord and there was this guy named Achan and he took some of the silver and he hid it under his tent and so the next battle that Joshua and the Israelites went up against was this little tiny podunk town of Lubbock no I'm joking AI it was even smaller than that it would have been like Vernon or you know Childress you know AI Little Ai, they've, they've just knocked off Jericho, the most heavily fortified city in the world, and they're going up against Ai. And they're routed, they're defeated, they, they're sent with their tails between their legs back to their, their, uh, their, um, their um, camp. 
And what happens there is Joshua tears his robe, falls down on the ground, covers himself with dust, and he's rolling around on the ground going, Ah, we've sinned, we've sinned, we've sinned. You ever pick up on what God does? He doesn't sit there, grab the whip or grab the hammer and go, bang, you idiot, bang, you idiot. What does he say to, to Joshua? He says, get up. But he doesn't say, get up and move on. He says, get up, deal with the sin, and then move on. Not to belittle it, but not to dwell overly on it. Deal with it. Repent, give it to God, and then get going, moving on. Get, keep, keep on mission. I believe that's what God wants us to do. And it's not just this once. It's not just today. It's an a ongoing practice. Let's deal with the stuff that, that's detestable in God's sight. Let's get rid of it. Let's repent. Not just outwardly tearing our clothes, but a true repentant heart. God, cleanse me, clean me, heal me. F fix what's going on in here. I want to follow you. So let's, let's stand. And altar team, why don't you come forward as well? I know we've gone a little longer, but I really believe that God wants to do some things here in our midst this morning. Would you just uh, put your hands out before the Lord? Just open your hands and let's pray together. Lord, we confess our sins to you this morning. And Lord, I can do it pastorally and corporately, but each and every one of us needs to do it for ourselves. And it, it, it doesn't come, come out of obligation. It comes out of a, a, a prompting of your spirit. And it comes out of a sincerity of heart and a humility of heart. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us with that. You'd expose right now, Lord. I pray you'd shine the, the light, the exposing light of your Holy Spirit into the, the nooks and crannies and, and crevices of our heart and our mind. And Lord, bring those things to light that we need to confess and surrender and repent of. Would you do that right now, church? Just that we would confess our sins before the Lord. Holy Spirit, do your work. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, the cross is supreme. The price that was paid on Calvary paid the price for our sins. So Lord, just like Joshua, we're dealing with it right now. We're, we're setting aside. We're giving it to you. We're repenting. We're getting up, standing on our feet, and we're moving in your direction. Help us with that. thank you that you're gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in love you love us it's in jesus name we pray amen amen